Welcome back to another episode of Church of the Geeks. Friends, this is Brian Bennett, and with me, of course, as always, is Sam Blair. Sam, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. Good evening, everyone. Uh, yes, enjoying a uh, warm home on a cold evening. Yeah, it, it's gotten a little it's gotten a little cold. But I, I tell you what, I don't know if you saw some of the pictures where my, my wife is from uh, Newfoundland, Canada, and some of the pictures that came out of there over the weekend where they had one of the worst blizzards in their history, which is saying something for them. Um, it's, you know, people, the entire um, province is almost shut down. <laughs> so really? the, the city was shut down. The city was completely snowed in. Um, roads were impassable. I mean, they had probably four feet of snow in a day. And hurricane force winds blowing it up into drifts that were, you know, up several feet over the top of cars. So Okay. My exploded can of sparkling water on the back deck isn't such a bad thing then. No. Uh. <laughs> was, that was very unimpressive, I must say. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. So uh, tonight, um, Sam, we're, I'm very excited. We have a real treat tonight. Um Tonight we have with us um, creator of the comic Second Coming, Mark Russell. Mark, welcome this evening. Thanks. It hey. is really nice to have you. Oh, well, my pleasure. I, I have no disappointed to hear fucking the, uh, the other Mark Russell who does the piano music on uh, the political thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be my wife's. That would be my wife's. Uh, my wife's a pianist, so that would be my wife's. Ter- uh, um, area of expertise so no i'm not ex- i'm not worried about that one at all so um mark um you uh you've done a, you've done a, a lot here very recently um you want to talk just introduce yourself uh, what um how do you want to introduce here's your wheel of fortune moment okay. yes yeah um, so yeah i have done a lot recently uh but i'm fairly new to comics like i haven't I, my first comic book i wrote was Prez, which uh, it came out in 2015, which is about a teenager who gets elected president. Uh, and I did that part as part of the DCU line. And then from that, I think they felt bad because they canceled it. So they gave me the Flintstones, which was probably <laughs> one of the I'm most known for. Uh, but that was like, well, uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, actually, um, our uh, friend of our podcast, uh, Wayne Wise, worked uh, um Connect, uh, came and talked with us about Stan Lee, and he wanted me to tell you that he really enjoyed the Flintstones, and he recommended it to everybody for a oh. very long time. Well, so. thank you. I appreciate that. Because <laughs> I can use all the royalties I get. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, so I was writing Flintstones, uh, and, and I, I did 12 issues of that, and I, I, I won't specifically want to end it at 12. So I, one thing I hate about um, TV in general, is that they just keep producing the shows until they suck. Um, yeah. The playwright David Mamet has a great line. He said that uh, he's written plays and he's written television. He said that writing a play is like running a marathon and writing for television is like running until you die. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I try to do limited series because I don't want to run until I die. So I said, okay, yeah. well, let's end the Flintstones after 12. And they're like, well... What do you want to do after the Flintstones? I didn't really have much of an idea, but I've been writing these sort of like just sort of jokey conversations between Huckleberry Hound and uh, 
and Snagglepuss as if they were like old Southern Gothic playwrights. On I just been writing these on Facebook. I didn't even like you know it was just it was like little little gags. And but my uh, my editor saw my Facebook and she wrote me an email saying, "By the way, your Snagglepuss comic has been greenlit." So <laughs> I hadn't even been planning to do a comic book, then, but then I was like, at that point, I, was, I felt kind of honor bound to do it. So that got me writing Snagglepuss. And I realized at some point, like, this is really what I want to do. And when I, I had a day job at the time, but I thought, like, when I went to my day job, I felt like a uh, prince who was being forced to put on rags to go beg in the street during the day. And I'd rather just stay a prince at night writing these comic books. So I, uh, uh, that's one of the reasons why I've done so much over the last couple of years is because I'm now trying to make my living at this. So I don't have to like have a day job and, and do this as, as a hobby and you know, my off time. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a big difference between, uh, doing it on the side and, and trying to actually live off of it. Right. Yeah. There's a huge difference. And <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of a Faustian bargain because yeah, you get a, you get a, um, it's a nicer lifestyle because you don't have to get up at six o'clock in the morning, and you uh, have a lot more time for writing. But the downside is you have a lot more time where you have to write. Yeah. So it's 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 a, becomes an assembly line at some point where it's just like the, the pressure is constantly on to produce something. Whereas when I was just doing one title at a time. You know, even though I had a day job, it would just sort of be like I could I could let ideas marinate and you know wait for inspiration to strike. Now, I kind of have to strike inspiration. Yeah, 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 definitely. Like, Although that getting up getting up at six a.m. doesn't really work with uh, Sam and I. We're, both of us are pastors, and I don't know, Sam. What? Do you get up at six? I get, get up, up at six, six for work. I get up at six thirty to get the kids out the door just to make sure that they. Oh, all right, but all right, yeah. All right. Yeah, as a campus pastor, I don't. I mean, if if that wasn't, it's more like there. I'm staying up late just because that's when the students are up. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you've all done a good job of choosing uh, less not less not, uh, forms of living. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and then um, so it, the doing the stuff for the DC stuff did that get you into then doing the stuff uh, moving into the the possibility of. Um, Second coming in then yeah, for DC. So, well, that was one of the ideas I'd I, I'd had kicking around for a long time, and I actually originally had um, had pitched it as a Superman idea to DC, and, and, and I was pitching it directly to Dan DiDio at DC over lunch one time, and he, and he liked the idea, but he said, "I get death threats when Superman refuses to say the Pledge of Allegiance, so there's no <laughs> way." He said, "There's no way I'm doing." This. I'm doing this as a Superman comic, you know, uh, don't implicate me in your, in your blasphemy. <laughs> he, uh, but he said, but if you want to pitch it as a vertigo title, we would, we would love to publish it as like a creator owned thing. So that's when I, you know, changed it to something coming and came up with the idea of like Sunstar, uh, and, uh, and all was well until, um, really until the, the whole bat dick thing I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but there was this uh, issue of was um, it back uh, of, of uh, gosh, forget the title now. It's the, the label, the black label Batman title. The black label, uh, yeah. Batman Damned. There was an issue of Batman Damned where they that's it. That's right. Damn. Okay. Uh, where you can see Batman's penis, uh, Bruce Wayne's penis specifically, 
because they it, it wasn't intentional. It was just because they they had an issue with the the coloring. The shading wasn't dark enough, so you could actually see it. Uh, but then after that, it was like everybody was running for cover because nobody wanted to be, you know, the second the rerun of Bad Dick because it caused such a storm over there. So it it, it, yeah. it it turned out just to be a bad time to be publishing a comic book about a superhero sharing a two-bedroom apartment with Jesus Christ. You know, <laughs> regardless of what the comic actually said or regardless of what, you know, how it treated the subject matter, the optics of just doing something like that at a time when there was so much upheaval at DC were just really bad. So, you know, we talked about it and decided it made sense for both of us to just take it somewhere else. That way I could keep it more true to the vision I wanted and they didn't have the embarrassment of, of having this title uh, that by that time was, you know, had been featured on Fox News and was drawing and like... Uh, I'm sure they were very complimentary of that. Oh, yeah, they loved the idea. <laughs> and uh, and then also, you know, there's still sort of like uh, um, cottage industry and it's, I think, a pretty big cottage at this point, but a cottage industry of like uh, fund outrage fundraising, like uh, they they just find something that like stirs up outrage amongst a lot of a large section of people, and they fundraise to do something about it, even though they they can't really do anything about it other than maybe like start an online petition that you know any any high schooler could design in like an hour. I don't know why you need money for that, but this group started fundraising and like getting people to sign their petition. Uh, to shut it down. And every time someone signed the petition, it also auto-generated an angry email to DC. So DC was getting hundreds of thousands of these angry emails about about Second Coming. So it, I think the, the kitchen just got a little hot for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But on the other hand, it, you know, one, one man's hell is another man's purgatory. So uh, Ahoy, which is a small company, which is actually sort of looking for publicity, Thought, well, this would be a real great fit for us. Well, you could do it however you want. You stay true to your vision, and and if people get upset enough that 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 it creates press coverage, that's all the better for us because we're a small company that's you know less less than a year old. So it seemed like a really yeah. good match. Uh, so I, I'd worked with Ahoy before on a couple things, so I knew that they they were a good they were good people to work with. So uh, after after the Vertigo thing fell through, I. I was happy to, to, to take it to Ahoy. Yeah, and the, the old adage, uh, 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 all publicity is uh, good publicity, right? Yeah, that's true so. for, uh, it's true when you're, you know, in the middle of the ocean and no one knows where you are or, or who you are. <laughs> it's, it's, right, exactly. It's not true when you're this, you know, giant glass dome in the middle of, you know, New York City or something. Uh, right. Which is sort of what DC is. Uh so it depends on the, your circumstance, but for a company like Ahoy, really all publicity is good publicity. Yeah, yeah. I had never heard of them until this, so. right? I never had either. And it was interesting that, like, I was commenting to Brian ahead of time that you know I, I went down to my local comic shop and mentioned to uh, to the owner Jeff. I said, "Oh, we're doing you know a, a talk a interview with Mark Russell about uh, Second Coming and about you know in." probably talk about the controversy and that. And he said he didn't really experience much in the way of, you know, controversy there at the store about it, that, you know, he didn't, there wasn't a giant, you know, nobody picketed or anything like that. No, he never well, heard any negative well, feedback. 
and it, it just never really trickled down, I think, to the average person. I think these like you know, online petitions, when you get like a petition with you know five hundred thousand signatures, you think that there's like throngs of angry villagers at your doorstep with torches and pitchforks, but really it's like oh, well, one person in Indonesia signed, one person in Poland signed, one person. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like a storm of angry villagers. It's just like a lot of isolated people who had five seconds to spare to click this online petition. Mm-hmm. The, the outrage was actually pretty tepid. And it's we live in such a, a time where outrage is common and pretty, it tends to burn out so so quickly that people just move on to the next outrage of the yeah. day. It's more so. useful as a fundraising tool than it is actually sort of indicative of any sort of actual cultural movement, I think. Right. I think if you are trying to make money off of outrage, it it, it serves your purpose to make it look as big and as genuine as possible. But, but yeah, it's like even like on Twitter where, you know, I was getting, you know, nasty comments from people after, you know, it broke on Fox News. I blocked like two dozen people and it went away. <laughs> wow wow two dozen yeah so it made me think well, this is like i mean yeah there's a few people who are who are sort of professionally angry but everybody else i think was more curious it was just more mm-hmm. kind of or at the very least indifferent uh but i think a lot of people who were maybe concerned that they might be outraged about it were open-minded enough that they would at least wait until there was something to be outraged by you know, they'd wait until they could actually like read a few pages and then decide what they thought about the comic. I think the people right, who yeah. are just like, this is inherently evil and we're going to shut you down were very few and mostly just sort of the product of this sort of uh, outrage industry and not really a grassroots sort of anger with the fact that I was doing this comic book. So what kind of responses yeah, so- did you get? <laughs> I don't know if that were Brian was that was on your mind too. I no, was, no, it's all right. Go ahead. Okay, go I'm, ahead. I'm curious in terms. Yeah, we'll of, go. This is great. This is great. Yeah, because I think you know I read like the the letters obviously in the back of the of the of the comics, but I'm also interested too. You know like what response did you get from from individuals? What like what response did you get from the average non Christian as well as the average Christian if they you know. It varies widely, but you know I I I, I got some like the. People are just sending me like long rambling, you know, like, like hate messages. But I, you know, once I re- you can usually smell those out within the first sentence or two, or you just sort of click on them and you, you see the all caps. You just know I'm going to, this one's probably not something I'm going to read right before bedtime. Uh, but, you know, the, like I said, those, those are very few and I, and I weeded them out pretty quickly and they tend to like be the first people to respond. But what I've gotten since then, since, the controversy book and the publication are really more thoughtful uh, comments, like either from people who like uh, were pleasantly surprised that this was not what they, they thought it was going to be or people who hadn't even read it yet, but were just sort of like polite about their concerns. Like this is what, I, this is what I'm afraid. It's like, please tell me what you are trying to do with this comic because you know, this means a lot to me and I'm, I'm afraid that you are doing X. And I actually had a lot of really civil and great conversations with Christians and non-believers before the first issue even came out saying, well, this is, this is, I'm somebody, I'm not just like trying to do a smash and grab here. I'm not just trying to like 
you know, make fun of your faith, you know, to, to generate a controversy. I'm somebody who comes from this faith and somebody who has like my own sort of opinions about what the divinity of Jesus Christ means or what the divinity in, within all of us means. And it, it's not just me trying to like have a few cheap laughs at people's expense. It's me wrestling with these concepts and these issues that I've wrestled with my entire life. And, and I think once they understood that, that this wasn't like an assassination attempt, that it wasn't just somebody throwing rocks, that they, even if they were on board with what I had to say, they, they, they respected the, uh, the, the fact that I was, I was wrestling with questions of my own faith. And, and they respected that struggle as if some, you, you know, as, as something that was itself worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought, um, I was very interested in taking a look at this comic to see if one is it was it just the character assassination or just to be shocking for shocking sake um and right right off the bat I didn't see that and there are things in here that I don't that sort of rub me the wrong way but I really appreciate it just in so far precisely because you're taking Jesus really seriously and trying to wrestle with what who is Jesus and why does he matter? Yeah. And I think a lot of what I am criticizing what I'm critical of in the comic book isn't Christ or Christianity. It's uh, institutions. It's how yeah. him and his teachings have been abused by institutions in the centuries since his, his time on earth. And, and I think not just in terms of the, the Christian side of the comic, but also in terms of the superhero side of the comic, about how these, these institutions of justice, and uh, enforcement and, and uh, have like all kind of soured any sort of genuine sort of ability to solve our problems. In fact, it's kind of like the, the, the twin evils of human civilization are, you know, um, greed and, and punishment. And, you know, the fact that we can only get people to do things because uh, we are willing to bribe them to do it or punish them if they don't. These are sort of the original sins of uh, human civilization. And I talk more about those, and I'm more critical of those, and I'm more of using Christ and Sunstar as a prism through which to look at those problems that are endemic in our civilization than I am, you know, making fun of superheroes or, or deities. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the setting of the two next to each other, Sunstar and Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, here, the son of God, next to the, the the character with the powers of a god, but the mind of a man, right? Um, yeah, it should be the most terrifying thing you could think of, right? Somebody <laughs> yes. who, who, who could destroy the earth and probably would if he's around long enough just because, you know, we all have bad days. Uh, but, but just has the same sort of moral and intellectual failings that we all do. Mm-hmm. No, no, I love I love that pairing next to each other. And then um, there's this whole thread, at least uh, a whole thread, sort of a family. Yeah. Right? There's God and Jesus. Uh, there's uh, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. There's Sunstar and Sheila. Uh, Sunstar, G- C- Sheila, and Jesus. Um, it's uh, all of that gets gets wrapped up here mm-hmm. uh, in some really really wonderful ways. And it all works together. Well, I think this is what we're ultimately looking for. Is like the purpose of religion really is to give us a sense that our 
that our existence in the universe is not a mistake, that we are, are here for a reason or that we have some attachment to the, the universe and we're just not just like random uh, photons that happen to be alive for a, a few a few years and then went out for no good reason. And I, I think that that family also kind of provides that sense that like, oh, I'm I, I actually I matter or I I'm not just isolated in the universe. I, I have an impact on on other beings and they have an impact on me. It makes you feel like you're part of a fabric, not just like a thread loose in time and space. Yeah, that was something I, I picked up was the, the narrative of loneliness that ran in as a cause for, for so many of the characters' troubles. Not only, you know, uh, Sunstar and, and Sheila um, and their longing to be together and yet be sort of being so lonely at the same time, but, you know, in the narrative, you know, that God is lonely and so therefore he creates people and he creates the world and that Jesus is lonely because he doesn't have the relationship with his father like he would like. And he doesn't have the relationship with people that he would like. Um, yeah, you know, he gets complete. And really the only reassurance we have that everything's going to be all right are the minds of other people. And mm-hmm. so like we're not, you know, we, we need other people. We need uh, other people to uh, medicate the deficiencies in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we can, that, is a good thought experiment. I, I think really honestly for, for people of faith to enter into, you know, regarding, you know, how we all long to find people who are like us and that get us. Yeah. And that one thing we find in scripture is that, you know, nobody got Jesus and did he really, you know, who was his, who was his friend and the, you know, those friends eventually turned on him. I think that probably he, you know, could have easily had a fairly lonely life at times. Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, the, the um, loneliest thing, and it, it's just like actually comes up and uh, like, a, like an issue that hasn't been published yet, but he said, you know, the, the um, something to the effect of uh, the, the hardest thing, he's like, the, uh, it's hard to compete with some, it's like the hardest thing you ever tried to do is to ask people to change. And it's why the institutions that came after him, like uh, the churches and the empires and the uh, evangelists, why they were much so much more popular than he ever was when he was alive, because they were perfectly content with leave, letting people just be the same miserable assholes they had been all along, whereas he was asking people to change and therefore was crucified. I thought, um, yeah, that the notion of change um, in the in this comic, Jesus gets people to change, or at least tries to get people to change, right? Through his notions of forgiveness, right? Which I'm whole, I'm I'm wholeheartedly behind. I I am really curious though, um, when what does what does forgiveness? mean to you in 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 the comic right because i think there's a there's the sense of liberation um when you have issue number three you have the ransomer who gets enrolled in community college because jesus stops uh sunstar from destroying this poor young kid right but it also it's important because i think it has a 
also a direct understanding of what sin looks like. Um, because it, if it if it heals that brokenness, what does that look like? I, I was just that was one of my questions. Like, because it's not Jesus isn't fully happy with the, the sort of this end result, but it's, he says it's the best I could have hoped for. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of so I was wondering with the uh, the solutions that people are used to on us, which are you know basically punishment and force. So he he, um, he feels like he if he could not have come complete victory over the forces of law and punishment force he at least steered it enough to the side that it will help this kid's life as opposed to destroy it uh, but, but i think to me when i conceive of forgiveness I, I i tie it into like sort of the broader sense of uh of of the good and and the not good which to me is like you know people often sort of almost as a cliche because the polar opposites of human existence of being uh, love and hate or good and evil, but to me these are these have, these comments are either just sort of momentary, they're either just sort of momentary states of human emotion or they're concepts that are so abstract they don't really mean anything except for what the person using them wants them to mean. But for me, what I think the two sort of polar opposites by which we we gauge human relations uh, are, are pettiness and generosity with generosity being the ideal and pettiness being the root of all that is wrong with the world. And I see forgiveness as being a symptom of generosity. And I think that's what it is to Christ. And I think that's what, what and ultimately Christ's mission is, is to tell people about the gospel of generosity of like, you know, if, you know, walking the extra mile with somebody, give, uh, if some, if you have, if you, um, have a have a if you have two coats and somebody has none giving them one you know or you know forgiving people when at all possible mm-hmm. these are all acts of generosity and his whole sort of mission on earth i think and every so all of his parables and, and stories are, are to the effect of like if this this world could we could bring about the kingdom of god on earth uh just through acts of generosity and he you know the um and I, I think that this more than anything is like sort of the resonant thread throughout his ministry is like preaching the gospel of generosity and, and forgiveness is like a, the biggest part of it. It was such a radical concept too. When you think about it, like how in the ancient world, it was almost inconceivable that you would forgive somebody or let somebody get off scot-free after harming you in some way you wouldn't, you wouldn't get revenge by killing them or killing a family member or, you know, getting especially you know at a time when there wasn't really you know a, a lot of legal institutions to defend you where you were supposed to defend your own sort of property and your own family the idea of forgiveness must have seemed incredibly alien and yet it's the only thing that can really stop this perpetual cycle of uh violence retribution and revenge Yeah, at some point you have to let go of the claim you might understand is rightfully yours. Yeah, life is better for all of differently. us. Even if you have to take an L when somebody harms you, life is better for all of us if we if if we maybe sometimes are abused or are like stolen from, uh, but we're not constantly looking over our shoulder. Mm-hmm. What what does it do to you know? Um, 
have everything you want and 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 but to be constantly worried about somebody taking it and constantly looking over your shoulder for people who are trying to avenge uh again for someone else that you took something from i mean what what good is life if you're if it's just a question of hoarding and then laying awake at night worrying about keeping what you've hoarded and so the the, the message of christ i think is one of like focusing on what's important and the things that are important are the things of the spirit or your your sense of well-being and your sense of connection to the universe and all these petty things that we use to consume our consciousness and you know uh, that we that we spend our our minds and our spirits accumulating and then protecting are what distract us from what really matters. Yeah, I think um, if uh, before when I was a pastor of a church, we had a good fund. If folks needed help, we would we would do what we could to help them. Um, and the congregation was pretty good that they didn't think about it too much, um, but it did happen in the community. We'd go to help somebody and someone would wonder, are, are they taking advantage of you? Yeah. These people who need help, you know, it, and I think that is endemic within uh, our culture and, and Christianity. Um, at some point you have to go, you know what? I'm going to buy this guy a sandwich. I don't care. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that's... a lot of times that that's, you know, it, it's like, that's the risk you take whenever you do something. It's like you risk either being a sucker or a jerk. It's like if I, you know, uh, help somebody out who doesn't maybe necessarily, or maybe necessarily taking advantage of me, I run the risk of being a sucker. But if somebody genuinely needs my help and I don't give it, then I run the risk of being a jerk. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, Christ's message and our challenge in society is to be okay with risking being the sucker. Mm-hmm. And if you yeah. are the sucker, that's okay. That's not your, that, that actually, that's not your, that's, you're not to blame for that. Um, it's not your moral uh, it's iniquity if you are suckered by somebody else. It is your moral iniquity if you are the jerk. Right, and that's it is such a that just feeds right into you know so much of the gospel as well as as Paul talking about you know that in the kingdom of the kingdom of God is completely turned on its head. You know, <laughs> you know, blessed are the suckers. <laughs> for yeah. for they shall inherit That's the earth. I might use that. Blessed are the suckers. Yeah, yeah, it's like it really is. It's like yeah, you might get suckered. You might you might not. You might people might think you're stupid because you got taken advantage of. But if everyone was suckered on behalf of generosity, the world would just be such a, a much better place. And and we're in we're in a place in in American culture as well as evangelical culture where the last thing you want to be is a sucker. It's, it's so much yeah. more about maintaining, you know, standing up for, you know, your rights and your, uh, for yourself and your beliefs to the point of pushing those on others that don't share those beliefs. Um, and, not being taken advantage of and and so much to the point of, you know, even to the point of taking advantage of, of others who may need to be taken advantage of. Yeah. That's one of the, my, the, my biggest issue with um, sort of evangelical Christianity and, you know, the prosperity doctrine and all its assorted flavors is that it seems to completely undermine the, the mission of Christ by giving itself almost entirely over to uh, pettiness. 
it's like, oh, can we make an extra, can we make an extra dollar by selling coffee in the church gift shop? Oh, can we, you know, uh, is there a way we can Im- improve the lighting in here and, you know, get, get a better sound so that, you know, we can uh, draw people away from their home church? You know, these, the sort of like pettiness of acquisition that just sort of completely has consumed uh, evangelical Christianity since the 80s. Yeah, and that was that was where I, you know, grew up in, and even you know the first church that I served in. Um, one of the, I, I I still remember it just baffled me, and so many other people where, you know, they they moved from you know <clears throat> having coffee after the service and so on to having coffee, but then they also had the Starbucks, but the Starbucks you had to pay for, and it automatic it. And and they didn't see how this set up a a hierarchy of coffee buyers in the in the lobby after church. You know, there were the people that were buying that were that were getting their Starbucks, and then there were the lovely people that didn't that didn't buy Starbucks. They had their regular coffee. I'm not saying people shouldn't have good coffee in church. Uh, you know. <laughs> But like, you know, give everybody like, Starbucks or give everybody. And, you know, I like quality things and, you know, I like to be comfortable as much as anybody. I think it's more about the motive. Why are, why are we, are we doing this to serve the people in church or are we just thinking of different other ways in which people in church can serve us? You right. know, I think that's ultimately the question with every institution. It's like, and it's something you have to look at every institution sort of suspiciously about. And at some point, uh, you know, every institution at the ground level when it was first started was was usually started with sort of a noble goal in mind. We're going to have this church or this uh, this um, uh, legal entity or whatever to to serve the this group of people. But at some point, the entity becomes so successful or or it gets so ingrained in our. Uh, in our society that it, the, the flow reverses itself. And it's more about like, well, how can we get the people who need this institution to serve it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, that's the thing that churches always have to be aware of and sort of, you know, question themselves about like, to what extent they are serving the congregation uh, or as the flow reversed itself. And now they are just thinking of ways in which the congregation can serve them. And yeah. I think that's really what the, what is, has happened with uh, the sort of prosperity doctrine driven evangelical Christianity of like the last 30 years or so is that they sort of like have stopped asking themselves that question are completely comfortable with the fact that it's about milking the believers for, you know, uh, for, um, you know, blessing blankets or, you know, patches of, you know, like little quilts they, they will send sell you for forty nine ninety five or, or you know Bob Jones University, or or worse, yeah, like like uh, Liberty University, just sort of like, which is basically like a for-profit college scam. You're not getting credits that are going to be uh, transferable to any other sort of reputable four-year institution. You're just basically soaking up somebody's you know financial aid money and then sending them out into the world with a worthless degree. It's really more about like, well, how can we use this this steady stream of believers to, to finance our business? Then how do we use this? institution that should be serving the people who turn to Christ for meaning in their lives. How can we use this institution to make, to assist them in that? Mm-hmm. And, and now not only, you know, to perpetuate business, but to perpetuate power 
and to buy influence and to be influence and all, all the all the trappings that come with it. But. Yeah, and when I was uh, you know a kid in evangelical church, uh, that was one thing they all were very. Uh, it was one sort of consistent thread throughout all of the sermons and whatnot is that you are you are separate from the world and the world is like this evil and dark place and you can't trust anybody in it. The only people you can trust are the people here in church and uh, everyone else out there will eat you alive. And they are just waiting to the moment where they can, uh, you know, start beheading us with guillotines or, you know, persecuting Christians. <laughs> and, and it, it, you know, it scared me and it made me think that like, Oh yeah, this is the only place I have to turn. And, 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 but it real, it didn't occur to me until much later. It's like, well, this is what essentially every cult tells its members that you have to disassociate with people who aren't in the, it's essentially what Apple does too. It's like, oh, well, you can't buy a phone from a different company because then it won't communicate with your iPad. You won't, you know, you can't download your songs from iTunes. They try to cut you off so they can put you entirely in their sort of commercial universe and, you know, cycle your resources through their business exclusively uh which is also the way the, the evangelical churches started operating when i was a kid you know, they, they, they tried to make you feel so alienated from the world that everything you did was ultimately within the church and for the for its benefit well i find it really interesting in your i i feel like all of this criticism that you bring which i think is is earned um, particularly for the church, um, in in my tradition, in, uh, coming out of Lutheranism, we talk about um, the law, but we talk not the law as necessarily rules to follow, but as a mirror for our our own existence. Like the law shows us how how things really are, uh-huh. and I feel and I feel like you are uh, that this comic is is a grand mirror. Uh, well, thank us. you. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's ultimately what I'm trying to do. Is I'm not trying to like disabuse anybody of their faith. In fact, the faith is what's valuable. I want people to keep the faith that they have that gives their their life a sense of purpose and meaning within you know a place in the universe. I just want them to uh, think about the ways in which their their faith and the institutions serve them and not vice versa. Yeah, I, and again, the things that you lift up uh, in here, um, uh, the way the church um, abuses and misuses uh, Jesus uh, from from the beginning—that's good. The connections, the empire, um, even the scene in uh, in the jail where Jesus is sitting there talking about things he would have done differently—you know, understanding how some of this gets used—and uh, I think. He's talking about miracles, and he, I feel like is that the is that a criticism more of the church the way the church has lifted up Jesus that now suddenly Jesus just become this this wish granter? I think yeah, in a lot of ways it's like yeah, sort of what the, the church has become, but also I I think the church is really a reflection of us, and, and we're you know humans are, are naturally sort of like you know uh, kids kids on Christmas morning we want free stuff and we want you know the uh we you know something is is going to be if someone is presents themselves as a santa claus we're going to take full advantage of that and you know in a way i think that you know every sort of culture recreates 
God in its own image, uh, like based upon what it needs. Uh, the you know the ancient Hebrews who are leaving Egypt through the desert came up with God as a lawgiver because they needed God to be a lawgiver. That's when we, they get the laws of Moses and they get all the you know, sumptuary laws and rules about like not eating shrimp in the desert. Which, by the way, if you do find shrimp in the desert, you definitely do not. <laughs> So, I mean, a lot of these were just really great sort of like guidelines. Yeah, this is how you stay together as a, as a, as a nation when you're surrounded by people who aren't like you and will sort of like rob you of your identity. And also how you stay together as a healthy people when you're walking through the desert and you're coming across foods you don't recognize. Uh, and, 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 but then like in when the Christian era, uh, they didn't have to think of all these laws because the Romans ran everything. You, in fact, you would get killed for thinking of laws and, and like trying to build your own society because the Romans had already imposed their legal structure on you. So what believers needed at that point was a savior, somebody to save them from the laws, someone to, uh, you know, uh, show them a way to somehow live meaningful lives in a, in an era where they were being oppressed by the Romans. Uh, and to me, that's the the real resonance of Christianity is it's about how you survive despite the power structures that are arrayed against you. Uh, but some, but I think in the United States in the 20th century, we sort of recreated Christianity to be more about, you know, to be more like a Walmart. You know, it's like, well, you know, you, you won't ask that much of you and you'll get a really good deal on, you know, if you just need something, you just pray on it and, you know, God will give you a new van or a, a, a 55 inch TV and won't ask you too much sacrifice too much. And so I think in a lot of ways that impulse to like make, you know, basically use Christianity as just sort of like a, uh, a wish bank of, of um, fulfilled desires is a natural consequence of, you know, 20th century America. Uh, but it's something that we have to sort of be cognizant of. But I think it's what I was kind of was talking about when, when Christ was talking about, like once I got used to doing the miracles, people forgot all about stuff I was actually saying and just wanted the free fish. Basically mm-hmm. it was more of yeah. a metaphor for what has happened in like, you know, in latter day America, the way we've sort of abandoned the teachings of Christ in exchange for the magic tricks. Yes. Yes. Hey, can I can I switch gears? Can we go a little inside baseball here for a minute? Um, particularly, I wanted to talk about the there's there's a couple different art styles, yeah. right? That happen throughout the pages. There's two artists working on. Um, what's yeah, that? because it's, it's that's intentional. And there are two different artists working on the book. There's Richard Case who does more sort of like uh, down to earth, sort of gritty like scenes. Uh, uh, well, usually like when Christ is having a flashback to ancient Judea or, you know, around the, the street mm-hmm. of uh, urban city, that's Richard. And then the, the heaven scenes or the scenes that are more sort of fantastic. Those are usually drawn by Leonard Kirk. Okay. Because I, I was looking at, um, yeah, they definitely have a otherworldly sort of perspective is a little skewed. Uh, the heaven scenes, um, right? But also the scene where uh, Jesus and Satan are in Hail Marys. Um, it's darker. It's a little. It's a little starker images, and I, um, I think that's also 
Leonard Kirk. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's what right. seen. Yeah. So, um, how did you guys? What? Uh, why the contrast? Why? Why did you guys make that? That move? was actually Richard Pace's idea, and I think it was a real, real smart idea because we wanted it to feel like there's, you know, like the feel like there's a sea change based upon where the venue is, or also to give people a sense that there's this dichotomy between the ideal world that we all kind of imagine we're, we're living in or that, that, that we're aiming for. And then the real world, which is more sort of like dirty and more, more grayscale and, and shadier that there's this dichotomy between the world as we want it and the world as it is. I, I loved it. I, I, I really did like that. Um, uh, I'm glad um, he made that, he came up with that idea because it does set things apart. Um, even when Jesus is in jail and he's like, I take it back. This place is exactly the way I remember it. Um, yeah. It, it really it's just really like a real visual sort of like, it, it really underscores the meaning of words visually very well because you do it that way. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with that, that decision. Yeah. Love that part. Love that part. Um, also, can can we talk about sex for a minute? Because um, it's hard not to in this. <laughs> I, it's really hard not to. Starting right from the beginning, um, you've got the tree of knowledge of good yeah. and evil, where it it, it ain't an apple, friends. Wait a minute, is this is, is this big fruit? You know what? Uh, I just got surprised by that, and uh, when we were still in vertigo, we we're kind of like, "Yeah, I'm not sure about the, you know, the, the peaches and the pears in that tree." And, but Richard was like, like determined. He's like, "No, it, it's great. I'm leaving it in." So we're like, okay. <laughs> well, because so we have that. Um, we get uh, Sunstar discovers that his grandmother's old house is now a yeah, sex that's toy me. shop. That's my fault. Um, <laughs> that was actually it was beautiful. Um, so, oh, and then there's the right uh, Jesus. Uh, right, they're in the LGBTQ uh, plus restaurant, Hail Marys, which also beautiful. Um, but then they come out and they're accosted by the uh, the Baptists. Um, <laughs> Uh, the love frontier. Yeah, the, uh, like, uh, I'm sorry. Sort of, they're sort of West, West, uh, Westboro type, not quite that extreme, but but they're on the spectrum of like. Uh, yeah. Right. Absolutely. They're they're the they're that. I, so I'm really curious, right? Because I, I ran into the same issue. Um, I've been doing sort of a, I'm doing a little project with um, Star Trek, the original series, and there's the episode in the second season called the Apple, and. Um, there, the the uh, these these uh, folks on a planet live in sort of perfect, uh, like it's the Garden of Eden, uh-huh. right? And um, the thing that gets them in trouble is the touching that they have been told they're not allowed to do. Um, so, is the sex um, stuff here? I mean, is it is it seen as the um, sort of uh, an issue or is this again a uh, perhaps a thing for us to go is the American church taking sex too seriously um, and it's not really 
the big as big a deal as we elevate it, especially since there's very little talk of, that Jesus yeah, talks I, about. I think it like, goes back to generosity and pettiness, and uh, and then the uh, of pettiness is expecting everyone to be as miserable as you are. So just you know, it's like you. Ideally, we would be happy for other people who are happy. That even if it's not in ways we would be happy. <laughs> that, oh well, they they found joy in something that I don't enjoy. That's okay. Uh, but the petty, or you know, the the realistic, you know, going back to the Pharisees and through like the modern day sort of uh, anti LGBTQ uh, sort of you know God botherers uh, in the the church who point to like the three or four verses that that talk about it. Uh, to me, it's just a symptom of pettiness. They they are um, they are unable to they. For whatever reason, this disgusts them, or they um, think that. And a lot of times, it's closeted people feeling, "Well, I've had to go my whole life living a lie." They should too. It's the sort of one misery loves company idea. But for whatever reason, they cannot accept that somebody else finds joy and, and happiness in something they do not. So they they it, that that is by nature what makes it immoral. Whereas really, the only sort of morality that matters in a generosity sort of infused worldview is uh the morality of like is this improving people's lives or making them worse was that lucifer's problem was that lucifer lucifer right he's like it was like prom night every night with these two in the garden i was just thinking about it you said like living too long without it they got i gotta suffer without it you got it too you know angels didn't get the, uh, the, the problem with lucifer is uh is the pettiness of jealousy like yeah like if i if yeah and in that and like he i think had an elevated sense of his um value to god so that when god turned the earth over to these you know beings that he just made out of mud like 10 minutes ago right <laughs> he took a real offense to that he right. was like used to being you know uh the big man on campus and that that really bothered yeah. him uh and that's not my own sort of you know, personal, just made up theology too. That's a real, I mean, I, I don't know if you've read the, 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 and this isn't non-canonical, but the, the acts of Bartholomew, it's a, it's a Gnostic text from like the third century, but it, it basically spells out that this was Satan's issue that he felt like God had abandoned him, that, that God had like had him helping with the creation of the earth. And he was like God's number one angel and then, and he was made out of this pure starfire, and he was this beautiful angel to behold. And then God just gives it to these two mud creatures, and tells Lucifer that basically they're going to be running the place, and his existence is going to be devoted to helping these people. And you know, I, I can sort of understand where he's coming from. It's like being told at work you're training your replacement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's got special little boy? Oh, not not you, Lucifer. It's them. So, yeah. And I think that's always kind of been a characteristic right. of of Lucifer of Lucifer in literature. It's always hard to get that word, get that phrase out, but in ter- in that he, you know, the always comparing himself to what he could be and what he should be. Yeah. And that that striving and that constant comparison I, I was i was thinking you know a parallel in my mind was to uh i 
I think it's the movie, uh, the prophecy with Christopher Walken in it, where he's Gabriel and he's been called he, and he's basically left heaven to make war on heaven because he is so tired of God favoring these, these apes, you know, that are wrecking the world. And that's been, and that, that jealousy and the need for favor, um, you know, has wrecked so much havoc in, in, in those people's lives. There's a really great scene in the, uh, the movie Bedazzled, the, the original one with Peter Cook and Dudley Moore from the 1960s, where Peter Cook is playing Satan and Dudley Moore is just playing this guy who Satan has decided to sort of make a Faustian bargain with. And Dudley Moore asks him, well, why, you know, why, would, you, why would you do something so stupid as to rebel against God? And he's like, okay, I'll show you. Uh, I'll, I'll play God, and you play me. Now I'm going to sit here on this fire hydrant, and you're going to get on your knees and you know tell me how great I am. Uh, and so the Dudley Moore has to get on his knees and tell him, Peter Cook, oh, you're so wonderful, and you're the best ever. And I, I, I mean, then after about like ten seconds, this Dudley Moore is like, oh, I'm bored. Can we switch places? And he's like, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> that is a that's a great scene. That's a great scene. Yeah. Um, we are, uh, I still have half a page of notes and, but we are coming up on, uh, uh on our time because this, uh, this has been a really good conversation. Yeah, I think, um, I think there's, yeah. So, uh, anything else real quick? Any last, Sam, why don't no, you have just, anything else you want to bring say, up? I think it's, I think there's a lot that you can take away from it. I think there's a lot that's challenging. I think there's a lot that people are going to disagree with, but I think that's also good. In that yeah. you can yeah, actually, I, I'm not like I, writing this so that everyone will be in complete agreement. I just am writing this so people know what what I'm going through, what I'm thinking. Right, about. And, and I think it's important too to read things that you are going to disagree with because if you only read things that you agree with, yeah. you're not going to grow. You're not going to be challenged, um, yeah. and you're not going to necessarily know why you disagree with something. Um, so I think it's it's really important. And I think that it's a really interesting starting point for a lot of conversations between, between Christians and between Christians and non-Christians and about how faith has worked out in the world and sort of what's been your story in, in, in the middle of all of this, you know, what's your experience of, of Jesus? What's your experience of, uh, maybe being cast out of that or dealing with power or suffering from uh, the stigma of, of sexuality and a culture that can't handle it. So I'm hoping that, like people who are Christians will, will recognize like in the Christ in the comic book, uh, a, a, a real value to him and his teachings that maybe they haven't gotten from church in a while. Mm-hmm. And even and just hearing things a different way, yeah. I think the the little side stories I was going to comment, you know, between Jesus and and Shimon, you know, back in in uh, his days as a carpenter, those little side stories that run through um, the comics, I think, are really touching. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jesus was. Uh, there's a reason why he felt like he had to live as a man, and so he would know our pain. Mm-hmm. And so we have to understand our own pain if we're really going to understand the uh, the importance of Christ. 
Yeah. I love that. I love that um, whole uh, thread with oh, yeah. Shimon there in the beginning. That was. That, that really is one good. of the benefits so of going with the Hoy because originally, if, if it had come out under Vertigo the way we had originally, they they, they weren't going to let us do the extra pages, and that was what was going to get cut. with that whole thing with Shimon. Uh-huh. Oh no, that that would have been terrible. That's yeah. so it was and so the thing good. With, and the other part that would have been that wouldn't have existed if it hadn't have been for Ahoy would have been uh, you know the issue six, all the stuff with like Judas and the disciples that would have all been gone too. Mm. Oh wow! Oh wow! All right. Well, I do thank you um, for uh, for joining us for this. Um, I, and I only say this: I heard this that you know you're putting this out there. Um, and this is your take and that means you're really just putting your own vulnerability out there. And I thought, uh, that is so in line with, I think, uh, Sheila is my favorite character. If only for her one line in there, it's not our strength that makes us worth loving. It's our vulnerability. Um, cool. Right in the feels for me. So, um, and I, I, I hear an echo in there with you and you putting this out and I just, yeah, that was so good. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, It makes me think a lot. makes me, uh, uh, hope to have more conversations with folks. Really appreciate your coming on. I'm glad, I'm glad it exists. I'm so glad. So, um, we are at this, at the section now where, uh, we do ask, what are you geeking out about? Um, Mark, despite or in uh, along with trying to survive as a comic writer, is there something that uh, you want to lift up that you are geeking out about that you yeah, really enjoy? I right have been reading uh, the entire canon of the uh, Alejandro uh, Hodorowsky, uh comic book world and what he does for humanoids, including the Inkle and the Metabarons uh, and the Katakas. Uh. It, it's just mind blowing to me, especially the Metabarons, which is like like reads like sort of a futuristic space-born greek mythology yeah i i read that too that is it was pretty wild trip (laughs) yeah i've I've never read anything like it and it it just blows me away but i but i i reading the vault first volume of the of the metabarons i think i you know within like two days i'd read all eight volumes of it wow nice i i've never heard of this so (laughs) <laughs> something else to put on my list. That's excellent. Uh, Sam, what are you geeking out I'm about? I'm geeking out for one in that um, my son's first robotics league is uh, fully up and running. So we get another uh, season of uh, robotic joy. Um, and he's also in a period of robotic joy because he's building them. So he's usually in a better mood, but he's at home. Um, and I'm also a, interested about there's a a new movie coming out um it's getting hard to find well i can't find it around here in pittsburgh yet so i may just have to uh wait and get it on uh, amazon prime or whatever called um weathering with you that's uh uh it's an anime uh you know a japanese anime but it's uh by uh oh who's the uh makata shinakai who has written a and produced a number of really kind of spellbinding and beautiful uh, films uh, kind of along the, the lines of uh, my neighbor Totoro and those sorts of things that uh, um, are really captivating. And it's, it's just hitting theaters. But like I said, I'm, I'm 
I've been in keeping an eye out to see if it gets her in the Pittsburgh, but haven't seen it yet, but I am excited about that. And you, Brian? Um, I got to say right now, um, I am, I'm at the sort of at the end of a, a couple of things that have happened, but I, I am trying desperately like my main goal right now is to finish the book Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. I'm on about a page 1000 of like 1200 and some, this is part of uh, the stormlight archives. And, um, and it's just, I really enjoyed the first two books. This one has been more of a challenge and there's more stuff going on. I still love it, but um for whatever reason it is it is just plowing through this has been a has been a chore um and uh, but i do i just uh, brandon sanderson builds such beautiful worlds um uh, so that's where i am at right now um that is my that is my big thing well folks uh thank you so much for joining us again mark thanks um, where, where can, do you have a, do you have any, uh, a website or uh, yeah, you want to give out your Twitter handle or any place where folks might connect? Manress, M-A-N-R-U-S-S. We will put that in our show notes too. So folks can see that. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, you even answered some guy <laughs> going, Hey, you want to come talk to two pastors about your car, which I will say, I told Sam, I honestly, I don't know what I was thinking when I did it. And then you answered so quick and I'm like, crap, what have I done? You weren't I'm supposed done. to say that. What is that? So, but I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you're supposed to ignore me. Yeah. Um, but I'm so glad you did not. Thank you for, gosh, this has been a great conversation. Oh, um, really enjoyed that. Um, and, well, thank you very much. It, great. Uh and as always, folks, you can connect with us at Geek Church on Twitter um, or uh, Church of the Geek on Facebook. And uh, let us know what you think. Let us know um, if uh, if the blasphemy is too great or if this is something that draws you in because it, draw, it drew us in. And um, anyway, um, connect with us. We'd love to talk to you. You as Sam, well. Have a great night. Mark, same to you. Um, and as always, folks, and geek, also with be you. with you.